Hit well into center field. That one's carrying out at center. It's out of here. Oh, Johnny with a pinch hit home run. At the plate is Mike Trout. The pitch on its way. It's blasted out to dead center field. Out of here. Ball gets away. He's going to break for the plate. Ball game is over. The Angels with a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. Hey, what's going on? Hello and welcome to the Angels Recap Podcast. My name is Trent Rush and my, oh my, am I excited uh, for this one today. Okay, you want me to talk about where the Angels are in the standings and you want to talk about what the Angels are going to do with the trade deadline and I can give you some theories, I can give you some thoughts, I've shared it before. If you want me to go over it again, sure, I can do that. But this podcast is special for this reason. It is 70s weekend here at Angel Stadium and what a slew of great guests we have for you today. It is a jam-packed weekend. I am a I am somebody that I like to, I consider myself a student of the game of baseball um, and part of studying this game is understanding the game's history. I was not around for the 1970s. I think the throwbacks are awesome. I love the old California Angels logo, but when you talk about uh, 70s baseball, I wasn't around for it. I wasn't around for play like 1985 baseball, but I can understand and I can appreciate it. And we have a couple of legends that are coming on the show um, here today. We're going to have Frank Tanana with us. Tanana and Ryan, two days of crying, and Frank Tanana is going to be here on the program. We're going to have Clyde Wright telling stories, and I, I know that you know many listeners to AM830 and people that have been around Angels Baseball for a while, we see Clyde around. Uh, Clyde just celebrated the 51st anniversary of his no-hitter, and we know that you know, Clyde is just a, a beautiful personality. You talk about two beautiful people and, and you know, that that are just this gems, Frank Tanana and Clyde Wright. And later on, if you have listened to your radio in the last forty years, you have heard Ted Sobel on the airwaves. And he's got a new book coming out. We're gonna talk with Ted uh, a little bit later on. He's got some incredible angel stories and actually is a really cool Nolan Ryan story he's gonna share with us. So uh, we're gonna talk to Frank Tanana, we're gonna talk to Clyde Wright, and then we're gonna hear about Nolan Ryan coming up on the podcast. Uh, that's what we have for you uh, for close to an hour here. Very full show, a lot to discuss uh, when it comes to Angels baseball. All getting ready for 70s weekend this Friday and Saturday. Angels going to be taking on the A's. And how cool is this, too? So not only is it going to be 70s weekend, but the first 14,000 fans to each game are going to get an Otani vintage shirt. It's courtesy of Nikon. You can visit angels.com slash promotions to check out more promotions. But Friday and Saturday, 14,000 fans, the first 14,000 fans at the ballpark. So get here early. I saw how crazy it was for the pillow. I saw how crazy it's been for the bobbleheads. You want your Otani vintage shirt? Get here early Friday and Saturday and uh, get some tickets to the game. I don't even know how many tickets are left. I would imagine that's a, a hot item um, and, and fans got to get on that. So check it out. Get here early. Uh, that's going to be something that you are not going to want to miss out on. That Otani vintage shirt and just celebrating 70s weekend. And then at on Sunday here at the Big A, um, the first 14,000 fans will receive an exclusive baseball card courtesy of Tops. Uh, so that's going to be sweet as well. Again, you can find all of this at angels.com slash promotions and get your tickets for Angels Baseball at angels.com slash tickets. Before we get to our first guest in Frank Tanana, I uh, just, just really briefly wanted to talk about where the Angels are at right now. At the time we're recording this, the Angels are 100 games into the season. They're 50-50. and 50. Um, and, and that's about where I stand in trying to figure out if the Angels should be buyers or sellers. It's it's 50-50. And the honest answer is, and, and Perry Manazian said this last week, you don't necessarily have to be either, okay? If there's a piece that you feel like a team is going to offer you so much that you can't turn it down, that you can flip into something that you know is going to benefit you down the road, or maybe there are pieces that come in that you know are going to benefit your club down the road, then and maybe that does mean making a, a trade and, and, and dealing somebody. The whole point of the trade deadline is this is an opportunity to improve your team. No matter what the Angels do, it's going to be to either improve the team for 2021, it's going to be improve the team for the future, or it's going to be improve the team for both. 
Like, that's the whole point of the trade deadline. Like, that's what is trying to be accomplished. I don't see the Angels going after, like, a short-term option, um, putting all their chips in for a short-term piece. I, I don't see that. I, I would I would imagine every move the Angels make is done with the intention of also having that player as part of their future plans. That's the way I kind of see things. So does that mean, you know, acquire a player with team control that it's going to elevate? Maybe. Does, does that mean trading somebody that's on an expiring deal to bring in pieces that are going to help you for the future? Or maybe, like I just mentioned, take those chips and, and be able to cash that in with what you already have for something bigger. Maybe it's something like that. It, it might not happen in just one move, and it might be something that gets started now with the deadline that gets finished in the offseason. There's a lot of different avenues the Angels can go. I have a lot of faith in Angels GM Perry Manazzi and in this entire front office for what they're going to be able to accomplish here. You know, for this new regime, this is the first trade deadline. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. It'll be interesting to see the way the way the Angels go about things. Um, but that's just kind of, hey, that's where the Angels are right now. They're in this spot where there's no like definitive answer one way or another, but you just got to do whatever you can to help the overall organizational health. And get them, uh, get players in that are going to elevate the club, make the team better, and help the big leagues. Both, uh, if you can do it this year, great. If you can do it down the road and make the just the organization better, you do it. And I think that's where the Angels um, are at right now. I mean, it's clear the Angels have to get better, um, and, and part of getting better is getting healthier. Um, and, and when I say health of the organization and, and health of the players, and I'm not saying the same thing. A different, you know, space there. But as far as like physical health with the players, yeah, you got to get Mike Trout back. You got to get uh, Anthony Rendon back. You you got to see how long Jared Walsh is going to be out for because I mean these are key pieces. Is Walsh? I mean, had some tightness in the abdomen on, on a swing the other day or um, irritation. I, I don't remember the official term was uh, for Jared Walsh, but um, we'll see if that ends up being an IL stint or not. The Angels are optimistic that it won't be, but who knows? We'll, we'll have some more information coming up later on as it pertains to Jared Walsh. Um, but, but you got to find out when these guys are coming back, and, and that's going to really dictate the way you go about um, your future here, and, and especially the immediate future. But when you can look at a lineup with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and Anthony Rendon when he's right, and Jared Walsh as an all-star, I mean, you, you put these guys together, you got David Fletcher, Max Stassi's been so good, and we're starting to see the starting pitching coming around. The changes to the rotation have done wonders. I have a lot of faith in the young arms coming up. There's going to be hiccups. Like, there's no doubt there's going to be hiccups. Um, but there, there's so much young pitching talent in this organization now that it, they've been drafted, and now it's about the development part. And some of these guys have been developing and are rising and getting there. And I, I particularly look at somebody like Reed Detmers, who in his very first AAA start goes out and deals in AAA to get things going. How fantastic is that to see? Okay? So all of that goes on, um, and you can start feeling better about the direction the Angels are going pitching-wise with these great veteran hitters that you know are are great now that are in a championship window now, and you're just trying to make sure that you can align that. you got to align your veteran hitters and keep them in their prime long enough and get your young pitchers up fast enough to where that they can be in sync at the same time and put a championship run together. That's what the Angels are trying to do. So whether they're buyers or sellers, there doesn't need to be a definitive term for the way the Angels approach the next couple of days in the deadline. That's just my two cents on that issue. All right, this weekend, 70s weekend at the Big A, it is going to be awesome. You don't want to miss that. If you are a fan of baseball history, you don't want to miss these next conversations either. And we're going to lead things off with a great chat. A first time, uh, first time I've ever gotten a chance to meet Frank Tanana uh, was when we recorded this interview. So here now is our conversation with Angel Great Frank Tanana. All right, joining us now, one of the icons in in my mind in Angels history, part of the greatest duo of pitchers that I think in baseball history were a part of the Angels for so many years. And uh, it's uh, Tanana and Ryan in two days of crying, and we got Frank Tanana joining us here on the program. Uh, Mr. Tanana, first of all, thank you so much uh, for being with us and getting a chance to rehash some stories. I really appreciate uh, you spending a little bit of time with us today. Yeah, well, Chad, my pleasure, and uh, please uh, call me Frank. No, no need for uh, 
any, any formalities here. So, yeah, uh, my pleasure. I'm glad to. You know, it was a, it was a big part of my uh, the start of my career, of course. And, uh, you know, my some of my fondest memories are, of course, uh, playing baseball for the California Angels. Frank, I want to know about that time uh, with the Angels in the 70s. And, and I wasn't around for it. I've heard the stories forever. But what can you maybe just share with us about that time uh, playing and, and starting your career with the Angels? And, and I've, I've heard Clyde tell a whole lot of stories about how hard you were throwing. And he was always worried you were going to take his job. And he says, sure enough, you did. So uh, <laughs> what, what was it like for you uh, coming up with this Angels club? Well, you know, it really was a, a neat experience. Uh, you know, that that year, Clyde, you know, that I came up in September, Clyde was there. Frank Robinson was there. Um, I mean, Johnny Roseboro was in the in the clubhouse or in, in the, uh, I think, the bullpen. And we just had some good, you know, Bobby Bonds was, uh, was there, uh, Barry's dad, um, you know, uh, Java McGraw was there, our first baseman. We had we had some good players and some serious veterans, guys that I had watched, you know, growing up. And now getting a chance to play with them was uh, was very fun and very exciting. Great attention, you know. These names just now keep popping into my head. Uh, you know, Andy Messerschmidt was there, um, Rudy May. I mean, guys like that. So it, it was pretty fun for me as, of course, a twenty year old. To, uh, to start my career and be, and be with those guys. Certainly. And I'm looking at, you know, some of the numbers in your career. And I had, you know, I started diving in. I, I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but I started diving into the 76 Cy Young race. And I, I still don't quite understand how Jim Palmer was the Cy Young winner that year. He's the nicest man. I've gotten a chance to know him a little bit doing the Orioles games. And uh, I, I, that, that, that 76 season was just something special for you. Um, when, when you're in a rhythm like that, and, and of course, you know, you and Nolan had so many great years together. What what was that like to be a part of of that duo to have that kind of unbelievable success? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it was it was special, no question about it. Especially being you know being so young at that time, um, and and you know really being pushed by Nolan. You know, my heart's desire was to be the number one pitcher on the staff, and of course he was there, established and and doing a great job. And so, you know, it was wonderful to, to push each other. And, you know, again, going back to that Cy Young thing, I think if it would have been measured by today's, the way they do things, uh, you know, I may have won that uh, Cy Young that year, but at the time wins, you know, and yeah. your team doing well. So it's very, very important. That's how they judged it. Uh, and I think Palmer won probably 20 games that year. And, uh, you know, Jimmy was a great pitcher. That's uh you know, nowadays, the way they're doing with the stats and the metrics and all of that stuff, I mean, the year I had was no doubt an, an amazing year. Yes, it was, uh, to, to say the least. I, I want to go back to, you know, you, you talk about – you and Nolan pushing each other and, you know, what that can do. And I know that, you know, as far as when you talk about the, the best of the best athletes out there, it always seems like it, no matter how good and how talented you are, it, it when you got somebody else pushing you, it just seems to be, I'm a believer that competition elevates people and, and creates greatness and can have a, a, an impact like that. What was the relationship like with Nolan and what was it like, you know, back-to-back days where, where everyone was, you were trying to top him and he was trying to top you. What, what was that I, time like? Well, you know, at, at that time, Nolan was a family man. I was a single guy. And so we kind of ran in different crowds. So we didn't really develop much of a relationship until later on with our time together. Uh, after I had gotten married and, and, and we became, you know, closer friends at that time but early on it was uh you know total respect and like you said you know he would go out and throw a great ball game and i i I of course wanted to do the very same thing and so like you said the competition was fabulous for both of us and at the end no doubt made us uh made us better pitchers plus the fact that we both knew that hey if you gave up a couple of runs you know we didn't have much of an offense early on in my career with the angels and so if you gave up a couple of runs Chances are you were going to get at best a no decision. Yeah. 
That you know, I, that's one thing I, I've talked about with Mark Langston at times. I mean, he's he's been a part of some really good teams, and I know that he's been on some other teams. Uh, it, it, was, it was similar, maybe not to the, the same extreme level that you're talking about, but yeah, the, the offense isn't scoring for you. So, what's the mentality like when you go into a game? Um, I know it's different now, and, and uh, you, you know, some guys will be you know they're they're happy. They go six innings, they can feel good about yeah. it. I, I know for you, um, it, it, it was you you need to go the distance. Right. Well, well, I, I, that, that was the uh, kind of the uh, standard for if you were a, a quality big league pitcher, you you finished what you started. Uh, that was the mentality at the time, and you know that was uh, you know I would always do. I would always pitch, but I would always have a little extra in reserve for whenever I got into a jam. I wouldn't, you know, now a guy can throw all he's got for five innings because he's coming out. I had to save and conserve and then pick my spots because I knew I had to go nine or I wanted to go nine, and they wanted me to uh, to go nine also. So it was just a mentality of, uh, hey, you know, conserve a little. When I got in the jam, I had a little extra to give them, but other than that, you just kind of pitched. It's funny you mention that because I, we're starting to see this. I don't know how close attention you've been paying to what's going on with this Angels club this season and what Shohei Otani is doing, but we're, we're seeing that development. Like I remember when he first came up, he was trying to throw 100 every time, and he's figured out, no, he's got to control the ball. He's got to get deeper into games. He, he simply has to. And now right. you're, you're seeing him finish games where he's throwing 100. Maybe he's throwing 94, 95, 96 throughout the game, but then towards the end, he's going, all out knowing he's towards the end of his run um have you been able to, to see him at all and what he's doing this season you know i have and i am i'm just thankful that he's been able to stay healthy because there's no doubt he's a uh, you know a great talent and um you know so again watching him observe him enjoying what he's doing and, and just hoping that he can stay healthy for the long run because he'll i think he'll do some amazing things in the sport yeah, it's incredible what he's doing, and you can almost, you know, you got to watch yourself to, to not take it for granted how special it is um, what he has done. Frank, I, I don't yeah, the, other, the, other, the other thing, too, Trent, I think what you said is wise, and pitchers learn this, is that, you know, you don't have to throw every pitch as hard as you can. Um, the object is to keep the hitters off balance, so as soon as you learn to vary speeds, the more effective you're going to be, and I think probably Shohei is uh, beginning to realize that, and Helped out certainly by the pitching coach and uh, manager and Joe. I know is a great guy and, and doing a great job over there. Yeah, I mean, you just you come, you get some experience, you get smart people around you, and uh, you you learn about this game and you improve exactly. and you think, and, and that's just the beauty of baseball, which is part of the it game is. that I, I love so much. Um, what kind of advice would you give to, to pitchers today, having had the career you had and been a part of hey, some Angels teams that were never scorned for you, but you went out every single day and were putting up Cy Young caliber seasons year after year? Uh, what would what would you say to some pitchers? today about battling through some of the stuff you're talking about and and being really competitive well uh, again you've got to uh, you got to approach every day uh, with a, a total concentration uh, it's vital to take you know real good care of yourself you got to know and, and learn the sport you got to know your opponent I mean you really got to be a student of the game Trent to uh, to stay competitive and stay on top of the game. And you've got to be teachable. You got to listen. You got to always be seeking to improve. Uh, watching, you know, knowing the opposition, paying attention when you're not pitching to uh, all that's going on. Some of the some of the habits uh, that the hitters have, and you know, possibly even keep a book on uh, guys. Although they have, uh, you know, they've got the video now that they can go to, which is awfully nice for that. But uh, there, there's so many things. But you've really got to be a student of the game, and you got to you got to stay hungry. A couple of years ago, we had a chance to celebrate the uh, anniversary of the 1979 team, the first team to, to make the postseason. And I know that for you, that, that was a, a season uh, in which you were limited. However, to be a part of that group and what uh, that team was able to accomplish, having been there for so many years in, in the 70s where the team had struggled to get to the point where, where that team could go to the playoffs. Um, what can you say about that 79 year? Like, what do you remember about that time? Well, uh, you know, for me personally, of course, it was a, it was a struggle. 
Um, I was hurt. I was pitching. Uh, then, I, then I couldn't pitch any longer. Uh, needed to get myself well. And, you know, <laughs> the thing I remember most, of course, it, it was uh, the, the sad thing was we were not going to cover off the ball. I mean, we were scoring. We had, we you finally got some a, runs. We, we had a tremendous offensive team, and lo and behold, nice going, Frank. Now you can't even pitch. They're scoring six, seven <laughs> runs a ball game. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of the way the way things worked out. But I'll tell you what, it, it was one of the highlights of uh, my career to be able to pitch that game that uh, against Kansas City, go nine innings, and, uh, you know, clinch the, the game that won the division, first ever for the Angels. That was certainly one of the highlights of, of my career. I, I've asked this question to pretty much everybody that has been a part of teams for, for Angel Clubs That when Gene Autry was the owner. Um, what was it like playing for Mr. Autry and, and the culture that was Angels baseball? Well, you know, I'll tell you what. We, we had Mr. Autry. You know, you had Drysdale. You had Enberg at the time doing the games. You, you had some really, really quality people. Uh, Mr. Autry was, you know, uh, um, he was a very generous man. He loved the he loved the ball club. He loved the ball players. Uh, you know, and he'd have us over. Of course, he had the Gene Autry Motel in Palm Springs that we would stay at. But uh, you know, I have I have some I have some very fond memories of uh, of Mr. Autry, and he would come down and and see and visit the players after a game, and you know, it was uh, it, it was it was a quality owner. You know, you mentioned Palm Springs and that, and, and, and spring training today I know is just so different from what it used to be. Um, but what, it just seems like that's a time like, yes, you're working on developing skills and you know getting back into you know the rhythm and getting ready to, to play a full season. But it also seems like that was such a critical time for team bonding and camaraderie. Um, what do you remember about the, the spring training experience, particularly there in, in the desert? Yeah, you know, it, it was just that. It, it was great because, you know, we'd be home. We'd be home for a week or so and, and got, was able to get into a good rhythm. And, and like you said, everybody, you know, we stayed at the, at the hotel and had a chance to spend a lot of time together with your, uh, with your teammates. And then, you know, of course, you'd go on the road for a week. We'd head out to Arizona. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a fabulous experience and, and just a great time to, to be at the uh, Autry Hotel. And spring training, I love spring training. You know, always took the first two to three weeks, uh, you know, just to be there, get to know the teammates, get all the aches and pains out, get all the kinks out, and then, uh, you know, begin to bond as a team. Frank, it's incredible hearing these stories from you, and it's been really neat, you know, kind of looking back at this time. That hey, it predates me, but I, I am a student of the, I'm a student of the game. I love Angels baseball. I have my whole life, and hearing this kind of stuff is is a thrill for me. What are you up to these days? Well, you know what? <laughs> There's a few things I'm up to. I'm, I'm very involved in my church. Uh, you know, love Jesus Christ and have committed my life to him in uh, 1983. And so serving the church, uh, Kathy and I have been married 40, 42 years, 43 years, you know, four married daughters, 14 grandchildren, Trent, so they're keeping us busy, moving around, two in Chicago, one in Dallas, one in Detroit. So we're bouncing around, but you know what? The Lord has given me an amazing life, and I just am grateful to him and love him with all my heart. So it's all about Jesus for me, Trent. That's just awesome. I got goosebumps uh, with you sharing that right there, and and just talking about the the family life, and, and also just what is um, what's most important out there, and having the priorities in order uh, is something that we all can learn from uh, in in a in a big way. Frank Tanana, thank you so much uh, for joining us here on the program. It's it's been a, a treat for me. I, I hope uh, maybe there could be a time we get to see you out of the Big A at some point when things start settling down around the world. But I really do appreciate the time today. Thank you. Well, you bet, Trent. Thank you very much, and uh, hi to all the Angels fans, and uh, God bless you all. What a beautiful soul.
Frank Dan is. I mean, that that is off the charts hearing that. By the way, um, I mentioned that 1976 season. And, you know, it was it was nice of, you know, Frank, Frank's got great perspective and, you know, he's a better man than me. I'm looking at this season. I, I understand Jim Palmer won 22 games that year, but Frank Tanana had a better ERA, 2-4-3 to 2-5-1. Uh, that same season, Tanana, more strikeouts by over 100 more strikeouts than Jim Palmer that season. He struck out 261 batters in 1976 uh, to the 159 that Jim Palmer struck out. Plus, that Orioles team won 88 games. The Angels were 74 game winners that year. I mean, there was no offense for that Angels team uh, in 1976, uh, but Frank Tanana still did that. Um, and then in 73, uh, Nolan Ryan sets the record 383 strikeouts, two no hitters that season, and somehow, someway does not get the Cy Young that year. Instead, it goes to Jim Palmer. So, uh, you know. Jim Palmer's a very nice man. I've, you know, he does a great job on the Orioles broadcast. I've had a chance to meet him um, because of that. And uh, nothing against him, but uh, I do have something against those that vote uh, for the 76, uh, or those that did vote for the 76 and uh, 73 American League Cy Young Awards because uh, a couple of angels got absolutely hosed there. Ryan should have had it in 73, and no, there's not a doubt in my mind that Frank Tanana should have been uh, the 1976 American League Cy Young Award winner. But an incredible career Frank Tanana had, and I, I think what he has done in having perspective and understanding life um, man I envy uh, Frank Tanana in that way and I just hope that we can all learn from him and, and have the same kind of perspective of that guy because uh, that guy just gets it another beautiful soul and uh, one of the funnier guys that you're going to have uh, here um, that you're going to hear on this podcast is Clyde Wright we had lots and lots of laughs when we recorded our conversation uh, so now it's time to share that with you as we bring on angel great Clyde Wright we're being joined now by Angels legend Clyde Wright. He's going to be a part of 70s Weekend here at the Big A, and he's hanging out with us on the Angels Recap Podcast and Angels Recap Show right now. Clyde, it's great to talk to you. I'm excited to see you this weekend. Rumor has it you're going to be uh, throwing out the first pitch. Have you been loosening up that arm? We saw you a couple of weeks ago zipping in there. How you feeling? Well, I took a cortisone shot from Dr. Millhouse, so I can get it to about, oh, 38 miles an hour. But uh, it might bounce or it might be on the black, right? I don't know which one yet. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to Well, you said before that you always try to keep it below the hitting speed. That, that's below below the hitting speed. So we'll have to well, see there. The thing about it, I had an old guy that played for the Baltimore Orioles uh Steve Barber, right? And then he came to play with us and I was pitching one night and he said, That's it right there. He said, Don't throw it above eighty five. He <laughs> said, That's right under the hitting speed, right? He said, If you get it to ninety, he said, They can hit that stuff. You gotta keep it below the hitting speed, right? So that's where I kept it most of my career, right below that hitting speed. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I want to talk about – I mean, we got to talk about the no-hitter, right? Because I thought, you know, uh, uh, there there have been many things that have happened uh, due to the, the basically the lost year of 2020 with, with COVID. Um, one of those was – it was, I, I thought, just a real shame we didn't get to celebrate the 50th anniversary of your no-hitter here at Angel Stadium. But we did get to celebrate the 51st anniversary of that no-hitter. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago here at Angel Stadium. I got to tell you, they, they found the clip. I don't know if you saw it on the Jumbotron of you giving a post-game interview, uh, which I thought was the greatest thing I've ever seen um, because just it's just hilarious because it's so you and, and it's funny how uh, a lot has changed and maybe not that much has changed uh, talking to you, Clyde. Um, just what do, you, what do you remember about that day and that experience? Well, you know, the funny thing about that, I was down in the bullpen warming up. So that night before the game, the NAIA, the, uh, the college I belong yeah. to, right, was NAIA, they presented me with the plaque that went into the College Hall of Fame, right? So Norm Sherry was their pitching coach. And he said, well, won't you throw a no-hitter tonight? And you can go in both Hall of Fames the same night. And I'll be darned if it didn't happen that way. So I went in two Hall of Fames the same night, so I'm even now. I'm in two Hall of Fames and two Hall of Shames. So that that's even. I'm betting 500. 
You know, they, they talk about efficiency. That's uh, that's pretty darn efficient. You know, Clyde, I, I would just I, I'm, I want you to take me back, right? And I, I want to – we're doing 70s weekend here at the ballpark, and it's going to be the throwback uniforms, and we're going to have the music in the ballpark, and all that's going to be, you know, really fun. But uh, when you first arrived to the Angels, you're 25 years old, you get here to Anaheim in 1966 – what were your some what were some of your early memories of, of being an angel and being here coming from Tennessee to to playing now in major league baseball well I'll tell you what when I left Tennessee and landed in uh, you know California and I first got to the stadium I looked I said gee this grass I said somebody must have spray painted that grass to look this good right and you look at the stadium and it was brand new. It opened up in 66, and that's when I came up to the big leagues, right? And I'll never forget the first time I walked out of the dressing room through the dugout onto that field. It just felt like I was walking on a piece of foam that your feet were just sliding over it instead of walking. You were, you know, feeling that good, Trent. Yeah. And it was just one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life when I walked onto that field at the Big A. What were some of the things that you remember just like about the ballpark? Because I, I've heard some stories that like there's there's some parts of the park that really haven't changed much at all, even from that time. Obviously, you look at it; it's you know what what fans see. I think is is probably totally different. Uh, but I know as you kind of maneuvered around, you know, this stadium today, are, are there any things that that you think? Oh man, that that's a spot. It's exactly the same today as it was in 1966. No, no, it's uh, completely changed because there was no, uh, you know, stands, if I remember correctly, not now, Phil, there was no big rocks out there. There was no scoreboard in left field. Now, the big A that's out near the freeway now was behind left field, you know. That's where the players used to park a lot of the times was behind left field and come through there. Left field was open, and the big A was standing out there by itself, right? So one story about the big A is we're playing the old Washington Senators, and Frank Howard was playing for the Senators, right? So I hollered at Pergosi. I said, Jimmy, I said, back up now. And I said, uh, I forget who the third baseman was. I said, tell him to back up. I don't want you to get hurt, right? And he asked me, he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to throw it right down the middle, four seams, straight as I can throw it, and see Frank Howard can hit that big A out there with you, right? (laughs) So I threw it down the middle, and he happened to miss it. He popped it. Well, he didn't pop it up. He hit it sky high to the left fielder, Rick Rackert. And for Ghosty, when we come in, he said, you're nuts, right? I said, well, nobody can hit that big A except big Frank Howard, and I just wanted to see if he could hit it, right? <laughs> so that's one of the stories about the big A. You know, it's, it's, now, the other one yeah. is when the Rams played there, mm-hmm. they had the scoreboard like in, left, in uh, left field, and when we had the earthquake, you know, the left field scoreboard uh, fell. It was uh, broken and stuff, and they had to replace it. And the pitcher's mounds where you warm up, they were on the side of the field, you know, on the third base side. We would warm up there, and the opposing team would warm up on the right field, you know, foul line. They had the mounds built there. Now they're, you know, built back to, back in the outfield, the visitors and the, <laughs> the home team is right there together. So this is what I could never figure out is when they have a brawl or something in baseball, why don't the two bullpens just stay down there and fight instead of running all the way into home plate? Well, yeah, that's a lot of unnecessary running. It's, yeah. that's pretty, it's, very, it's very amicable until they uh, get out of the gate, I guess, is, 
<laughs> saw that guy. Yeah. That's funny. But the time they get there, everything's over with, right? <laughs> maybe that's part of maybe that's part of the plan. That <laughs> the the other thing I, I remember too, like I just in seeing old pictures and whatnot, like obviously I mean the big the big A has had many, many changes for, for what people right. say. But right. I, I know that there's some parts of it that, that you know, when you go in like the back tunnels and all that, a lot of that, you know, there's there's some things that, that maybe haven't changed a ton, but I remember like looking at old pictures and it's the craziest thing to me. Like people could park like right up against the outfield wall. I mean, if you had a home sure. run, you gotta you gotta look out, you could get a window broken. That's the cra- sure. that's, that's crazy to me. Especially when I pitch, you better have good interest in left field, <laughs> you know, because there's a few balls went out there every now and then. Oh, that is fun. That's, but yeah. It was such a fun time playing, you know, back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, it was like you've seen the, the movie A Band of Brothers. All of us just got along. We'd go eat together. We'd go out and have a Coke together and all this stuff. It was just fun to be part of the game of baseball. What was it like playing for Mr. Autry? Mr. Autry was the best grandpa you could ever get because he always had money. (laughs) 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 You know, Grandpa, Grandpa Autry had always had money, right? So if he'd invite you to go someplace, you would go with him because you know that he had a roll of hundred dollar bills in his front pocket. But the biggest thing I can remember about Gene was he knew every player's name, every player's wife's name, and how many kids they had. And he would come down in the clubhouse and he'd strut around right in that cowboy hat and stuff. And one day he came down and I asked him, I said, Gene, I said, I just want one of those boots, right? Because they had these little things that just sparkle like diamonds, right? And he looked at me and he said, you don't want this pair. He said, these are all glass. He said, the ones with the diamonds are in the closet. <laughs> that That is beautiful. I want to know a little bit more about your time back on some of those Angels teams, especially that pitching staff. Uh, you guys, you guys had with Nolan and Tanana, and and what was it? What was it like being a part of that group? And, and like, what was the camaraderie like with, with those pitchers back in, in on those uh, early seventies Angels teams? Well, we were all like brothers, you know. That was it. And when I pitched, uh, you know, when Nolan was there, right? I used to love to pitch the day after Nolan because they're trying to hit, you know, a hundred mile an hour. You know, the night before, and then when I go out there, I thought it's 83, 84, 85. I said, boy, this fun, you know. They're looking for something in the high 90s. Well, the old left-hander don't have the high 90s. He's got it down here in the low 80s, right? But uh, it was just fun. Uh, probably Messerschmitt at the time, he probably had the best change-up there was in baseball at that time. And then we had Tom Murphy, who holds the record for the most hit batters in a season. I think it was 36, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then we had a, a guy named Paul Doyle. Uh, he was a relief pitcher. And he holds the record for the most pickoffs in the minor leagues. And one year he had 36, and the next year he broke his own record. He picked off 37, right? So one night we're playing at the stadium, and this is the honest-to-goodness truth. Killebrew was a batter, right? Okay. And they asked him, how are you going to pitch Killebrew? He said, I'm going to walk him, then I'm going to pick him off for first base, right? (laughs) He walks Killebrew, and on the first pitch, he picks him off for first base. Wow. Unbelievable. Wow. That's, right? that, that's amazing. That was, that'll stick with you. That is that is a great story. It, it will. You know, stories like that, you don't forget. You know, you don't forget the guys you played with, the Pergosis, the Eddie Fishers, the Buck Rogers, the Canops. They were just super, super, you know, people. You know, they weren't only baseball players. 
they were just good human beings. Like we know, like people, especially people that you know maybe lived that time and, and came to the ballpark and were into it, and and other people that maybe are closer to my age that study Angels baseball know those names. Was there anybody on that team in particular that just kind of like, man, this this person maybe doesn't get enough credit for what they were able to do? But th- this was a darn good baseball player. Was there any anybody like that that kind of comes to mind for you from those teams? Well, yeah, his name was a pitcher, a left-hand pitcher named Clyde Wright. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, we all didn't think about that. You know, we thought, you know, we played together as a team. We didn't think one guy was better than the other one. But uh, when I first uh, came to the big leagues, right, we had a guy named Freddie Newman. And he said, you know, if I hadn't got hurt, you'd have never made it to the big leagues. I said, you're wrong, Freddie, because I was going to take somebody's place because (laughs) I've already been through the list of 12 pitchers and five of them were crossed off that I was better than they were. (laughs) So I wasn't going anyplace, right? Somebody else had to go. (laughs) That's beautiful. You mentioned uh, Frank Canana's name. Yeah. We're, are you still there? I'm right here. I, I got you. And we're in spring training, and I'm walking back in the, into the clubhouse with uh, Tom Morgan, their pitching coach, and I hear this dude over on the side warming up, and the mitt just keeps getting louder and louder and louder, right? Yeah. And I looked at Tom Morgan, and I said, Tom, is that guy right-handed or left-handed? Morgan said he's left-handed. I said, I'll see you later. They're going to trade me in the wintertime because that kid's going to take my job. <laughs> and it was Frank Tanana. <laughs> that, that, that's amazing. Well, Clyde, I can't wait to see yeah. you here this weekend. I really appreciate all the stories. I, I mean, we could we could do this every week for hours on end just telling baseball stories, and I, I just think it's the absolute best. Um, I'm, I can't wait to see you, and I'm looking forward to seeing you. You better I, – I don't want to see anything in the dirt. I want to see – something down the middle, Clyde. Come on now. Now, wait a minute. If you throw it down the middle, it's got a 99% chance of getting hit. Now, Trent, and you know that. You're right. You're right. Uh, It's like when I would go to spring training, I'd always go out and check home plate, right? And I'd tell a pitcher, this home plate doesn't have any black trimming around it because I wore all that out when I pitched, right? I wore all the black off of it. No, come on. You're, 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 adding, you're right? adding shock, yeah. making the plate bigger. I know you. Come on. <laughs> hey. hey, The plate, I told him it hadn't moved in 150 years. And you, you pitched your so four pitches. I mean, ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four. I said, the plate stays there. It hadn't moved in 150 years. That plate jumps around on you guys sometimes. Yeah, that's amazing, Clyde. Hey, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to seeing you for '70s weekend here at the ballpark. Take care, Trent. Thank you. Goodbye. My goodness gracious, uh, Clyde Wright. Uh, always a riot having Clyde on. I mean, you just want to feel better about your day. Spend a few minutes uh, with Clyde Wright. You're guaranteed to smile, and, and I know that he has done that uh, for many, many people uh, throughout the years. So uh, it's gonna be really cool seeing Clyde here at Angel Stadium for '70s weekend. Uh, of course, um, just the Otani vintage shirt I talked about before for the first 14,000 fans to make to the ballpark. So uh, come check that out. Yeah, you'll get your gift, but I think that uh, the memory could last a lifetime and. Remembering, uh, you know, a, you know, a great era of Angels baseball. I know that some of those teams had hard times, but it just made things so much better in '79 when they did end up uh, going to the playoffs for the first time, and, and just how special that was, winning their first division championship in that '89 season. Um, it, it's, you know, part of part of greatness and, and part of uh, really getting a chance to fully embrace something that's so special like that means you kind of got to go through some hardship and this organization no doubt did that uh, but it was still just just what a beautiful time of baseball um, and, and I really cherish getting to hear from people like Frank Tanana and Clyde Wright to share those stories and I know that uh, you guys do as well. Another great storyteller uh, that has been in, in Los Angeles for uh, 40 years has been it's such a huge part of the radio business if you have listened to a radio station in 
SoCal. Uh, for the last four decades, you have heard Ted Sobel somewhere. Um, and, and Ted is a, a great, great broadcaster. He's got a new book out, Touching Greatness. Um, he has been around some of the all-time great athletes in the history of L.A. sports. He's been around the Angels. He's got some fun stories for you. So uh, now let's, let's bring on Ted Sobel um, to talk about uh, his new book. And also, uh, let's get him to join the party and tell us some stories uh, for 70s Weekend here at the Big A. All right, we're being joined now by Ted Sobel, longtime veteran sports broadcaster, reporter, a little bit of everything here in Los Angeles and, and really across Southern California. Ted, if there's been a big moment in L.A., Ted has been there, and he's got his new book out, Touching Greatness, which we're going to touch on uh, here in a moment. First of all, Ted, it's great to have you on the L.A. radio airwaves, a place that I know you have spent so many years, but it's exciting to have you back. What's going on today? Well, you know what? It's all about the book right now, Trent. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> and, you know, I spent a lot of time on your station, KLAA, when it was just called AM830, and it was owned by Radio Disney, and we did the, our Long Beach Ice Dogs games there for a few years. So uh, love love the airways and love that <laughs> specific station, no doubt. I love it. And, and it was cool. We, we heard you just the other day uh, when we had the Stanley Cup Finals on. You were doing the pre-post intermissions, all that stuff. That was pretty cool uh, hearing you on AM830, and here you are again. Good times. Uh, yeah, well, it's something about hockey and AM830. I don't know why that tie-in's there, but whatever works. Well, we, we know that you're you're a hockey expert, the golf expert, baseball. You hey, Every big moment in Southern California, it seems like uh, you have been there for, and I know that you have been at some great ones uh, here with the Angels as well. Ted, for those that, that maybe uh, have heard you on radio for years but maybe don't know your story, maybe what can you say just about uh, your career in a nutshell and, and just how you have gotten to where you are today? Well, you know, I started out in, I'm a Los Angeles native, and really it came to be, as far as the book is concerned, I wrote it because people said, you got so many stories, I met 700, more than 750 Hall of Famers in whatever sport, and, and music and entertainment as well, and there's a lot of that in the book, but, you know, it's something where I wanted to be a professional athlete, but as you know, Trent, <laughs> I'm too small and I'm not very talented, so that took care of that idea. It was it was all in my head, and it sounded great at the time, so I always thought, well, what What's the next best thing? And how about just being at the game talking about it? So that's what I ended up doing. I was fortunate. Went through uh, college at L.A. City College in the radio TV department. Used to sit in the stands with my tape recorder and practice games. Uh, and before you know it, uh, it was several years later, I finally got into the biz, and I've been doing it ever since. And uh, I've been credentialed to sporting events around town since 1973. Don't remind me. <laughs> Well, we have seen you here a bunch at the Big A, and um, I'm just kind of curious about uh, maybe some Angel stories that you have. I, I understand that the first day that you covered an Angels game was a pretty special one. Absolutely. September 1974, uh, just another day. I was there, actually not in the media per se. I was not a reporter that day. I worked for a company called Sportscom, and they were a, a, an organization that worked alongside the newspaper writers. And remember, no computers, of course, in 1974, so uh, we just barely had fax machines invented by then at that we could use at ballparks. Well, we had a thing called a telecopier where you had a little crank on it and you'd put the piece of paper that the writer, in this case it was Dan Hafter of the L.A. Times, it was the final weekend of the regular season of 74. The Angels were 30 games exactly under 500. There were just over 10,000 who showed up on fan appreciation night because not, not too many appreciated what was going on, I guess, that season. And so uh, I was there with only a handful of other folks in the press box, and it was just a meaningless Saturday night game, but ex except for the fact that Nolan Ryan ended up pitching his third no-hitter. And the last foul ball of the game, the second of the last pitch, ended up in, in one of those typical Nolan Ryan rising fastballs that was hit over the backstop screen, ended up in the seat right next to me in the press box. I picked it up. I went down to the Angel Clubhouse for the first time because it was my first career game, and uh, when the guys were all done, I just wanted to say hi to Nolan and say, hey, I got your ball, and he says, that's awesome, and he ripped the ball out of my hand, and he signed it to me, and I still have it to this day, <laughs> and how's that for a first game ever at Angel Stadium? Oh, that is absolutely phenomenal. You know what's cool? We're celebrating a 70s weekend here 
uh, at the big A, so I understand Beautiful. Clyde Wright's going to be here. Uh, there's always good stories with those guys. And um, is is Nolan Ryan the best pitcher you ever saw? No, no. As a matter of fact, I think Nolan Ryan, his longevity and what he did is miraculous. Oh, by the way, he only threw 158 pitches in that game. <laughs> uh, I joke in this. It's going to be in a future volume of Touching Greatness that uh, if. If, if Dick Williams was the manager at the time, if it was Dick Williams now, and Nolan Ryan would punch him out and say, I ain't leaving, buddy, after 100 pitches. I don't care what you say. And, of course, I was just joking about that. No, Nolan Ryan was a fantastic pitcher, but he was also one of the wildest pitchers ever. And that game, I think he had 14 strikeouts and 11 walks. So, you know, and that was a regular occurrence in those days. It's really funny because the older he got, the sharper he got. And I think part of his whole shtick was the fact that he intimidated everybody the first several years of his career. He threw so hard, he had no idea where the ball was going. And if you're the batter, that's not a good thing, as, the, as they used to call it, the jelly leg in there. You know, you, you don't want to stand in the box and dig in against Nolan Ryan, because he doesn't even know where the ball's going. But he's certainly he's one of the great pitchers in the history of the Angels, and uh, his longevity factor, I mean, it's unmatched. It's unbelievable. As hard as he threw, as old as he threw it, uh, I, there's nobody who comes close to that. Uh, Ted, before we let you go, you, you mentioned uh, Don Drysdale, and I know that, look, he's remembered for his time with the Dodgers, but as a special place in the hearts of so many Angels fans and what he meant as a broadcaster as being a part of this organization uh, for many years. Um, what was, uh, you, you mentioned he was your favorite player growing up. What was it like when you got to meet Don, uh, Don Drysdale, and just what was that like for you? Well, you know, that's really sort of the premise of the book overall, Trent, just the fact that I was so lucky to, like everybody, they have a favorite player, a favorite actor, a favorite writer, whatever it is. And when you get a chance to meet them, by the way, most of the time, it's a little disappointing. And in this case, it was fantastic. Don was just the nicest, most gregarious, outgoing friendly guy you ever want to meet <clears throat> and I ended up working at KMPC the old angel station when Gene Autry owned it and we were both there at the same time so um, it was just a total thrill and every time I would see him in the press box I would feel like a little kid again and I had to be just make sure I wasn't too giddy just to say hello to him because he was my favorite player. I saw him. He was the first pitcher I ever saw at the Coliseum in 1959, and I never forgot it. And from then on, he was, I used to have number 53 written all over everything, including my underwear. I'm not afraid to admit that. <laughs> so it's not a bad thing. <laughs> Bottom line is, Trent, uh, he was a phenomenal guy and uh, left us way too soon. But what yeah. great memories for Angels and Dodgers fans forever. He is a so Cal Jim. Ted, when you come by the Big A next time you're here, I, I gotta take, I gotta show you something we have in in the the lobby of our office building. It's an old transistor radio from a KMPC transistor radio that was it was it's an Angel branded issued out in the Angels inaugural 1961 season. I, I, it's a, one of those pieces like I've heard all the stories about that, uh, and then I got to see one. I'm like, oh, that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. So, it's, <laughs> well, I went to Wrigley Field. I went. To, I only remember being there one game, but in 1961, my father took me there, and I remember the old place. And of course, you, now when you see the old home run derby TV yeah. show that was recorded there, uh, you, you really get a feel for what it was like. It's long gone now, but it's a great memory. And then I saw the Angels play several times at Dodger Stadium when they only called it Chavez Ravine when the Angels played there. Of course they weren't going to call it Dodger Stadium. <laughs> Those are great memories. I love that stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Hey, Ted, thank you so much again uh, for joining us and uh, coming on to share some of those stories. You can check them all out. Touching Greatness is the book. You can find it on Amazon. Again, he's Ted Sobel uh, joining us here. Touching Greatness, available at Amazon. Thank you so much, Ted. Have a good day. You too, Trent. See you on the golf course. Good stuff uh, from Ted Sobel right there. Yeah, I mean, I, hey, I'll try to get back on the golf course when I can get a little time off. My goodness, uh, when you're in the middle of Angel season and there's the trade deadline coming up and uh, all that stuff, it's hard to find free time. But um, I, I, there's nothing I love more than hearing great baseball stories. And thanks so much to Frank Tanana, Clyde Wright, Ted Sobel for sharing all of those. That's going to just about do it for us here on the Angels Recap Podcast. Again, 70s weekend at the Big A. Get your tickets, Angel. 
Angels.com slash tickets. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, uh, don't wait too long. You know it's going to be hot because uh, coming up at the ballpark, it's going to be just a, a really, really fun weekend. And if you love Angels baseball and the history of Angels baseball as much as I do, you are not going to want to miss out uh, this weekend. Maybe the Angels uh, can find themselves getting a little closer in that playoff race as it sits right now. Five games out of a playoff spot. We'll see what happens the next couple days as the trade deadline unfolds. You can follow everything, of course, at AM830 if you're listening in Southern California. Outside of SoCal, AM830.net. Be sure to tune in after each and every Angels home game for Angels Recap on the radio. We'll answer your questions and we'll try to go through all the scenarios that you guys want to present. I'm here for all of it. Let's have that conversation on the air. We'll do it after every Angels home game. My name is Trent Rush. This has been the Angels Recap Podcast. Take care, everybody.